Holiday greetings, everybody. I'm back, and today I'm with Matthew Hardy, who is, what are you anyway? Let's see, you're an actor, a writer, a singer, a composer, a playwright, a dancer. What did I leave out? I am everything. You're everything. I am every. Matthew is everything to every all woman. of us. Well, anyway, say <laughs> hi to my people. Hello, people. So, where are we going to start? Where'd you grow up? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. You're gay. How'd you get there? Start at Let's the very talk beginning. about some stuff. Very good place to I start. I was born. Uh, I was born a poor <laughs> ch- child of sharecroppers. Well, I was actually born in Georgia. Really? Not to sharecroppers, though. Uh, to Midwestern parents who had moved to Georgia. Uh, my dad worked for Ford Motor Company, and that's where we ended up. And then about six years old, I got tired of being there, and I tried to crawl away. Uh, so my parents tied me to a post, but I eventually escaped and started crawling north to New York, but I had a bad sense of direction and I ended up in Texas. And you were six years old. Yes. All right. My now what's, moved what's there. the truth? They moved to Texas. Yeah. Okay. They moved to, to Texas when I was six. Uh, my dad got transferred with his job at Ford Motor Company. We actually had a choice between Houston and San Diego and he chose Houston. I know we would have been neighbors. These are the questions you ask yourself. What if my dad had chose San Diego instead of Houston? How would my life be different? Did he not know how much better San Diego is? Come on. I think my dad at heart wants to be a redneck farmer. That's, I think that's, he thinks that's cool. So I think moving to Houston, he was like, great, I'll be a Texan. He always affected a fake Texas accent. It was absolutely awful. Does he have a pickup truck? Is he still alive? He's not. But we had- But did he have a pickup? Yeah, of course we did. Did he have a gun? Uh, Many. Oh, wow. Okay, got the picture. Okay. So you're in Texas. And he spoke in this fake Texas accent that sounded really more Southern than Texas. (laughs) He would be like, up north with them Yankees. I'd be like, Dad, it's not Texas. He really did that? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. He wanted to be a Texan so bad. Bless his heart. And the rest of the country <laughs> doesn't want anything to do with Texas. And we lived in the suburbs, <laughs> and he wanted to live on a farm. So we had chickens and horses, and then we were always breaking the deed restriction. So then he, we'd get in trouble. Oh, and then wow. we'd have to eat the chickens because they weren't allowed to have, you're not allowed to have like more than two of any one pet. Okay. I'm not going to ask about the horse. That Sorry. horse just, yeah. that was good eating for, no, the horse we actually did not keep in our house. We, there was a, a nearby pasture that we had three horses okay. that he kept them there. And then we'd go, it was a pain. I had to go in the morning and feed them and do all that stuff. Did you like the horses? I loved riding horses. It was so actually you do, fun. You did ride them. Yeah, I did. I actually broke one of them, which was, I broke. Broke it in, broke the horse in. Well, how much of you? I know it was. Well, my dad was funny. He like was like, we're going to do it after. We're, we're going to do my dad's fake accent. We're going to do it after it rains because the gra- ground will be nice and soft for when you fall off. That was thoughtful. <laughs> yeah. But I was probably like 10. So I had, okay. I had rubber bones. Okay. So you're in Texas. Then what? Uh, so yeah, I stayed in Texas for most of my formative years. Uh, I was there in for high school and all of that. And then, uh, so I grew up Mormon. We joined the Mormon church when I was about nine years old. So we'd been in Houston for a few years and I grew up Mormon. And so I went off and served a mission when I was nine. 19 years old. Yeah. So you're a full blown Mormon. I did all of it. Did you have that Mormon underwear stuff? I did have Mormon underwear stuff. Do you, you still have it? I saved one pair. You did? Yeah. Wow. Uh, just for old time's sakes. I'm not that familiar with them, but I've heard about it. Yeah. So. They're, they're just, they're not that crazy. It's just like for the men, at least it's just a, a white 
crew neck t-shirt. And then it's like, what are those called? Athletic boxers that go down to your knee. But if you serve your mission in Korea, like I did, you buy the Korean brand ones because they're a lot shorter on your leg. And, <laughs> and you wanted it shorter. I, yeah, because I wanted to wear shorts and they go down to your knee. And so you're, they're always poking out. So oh. you, get the, <laughs> you get the Korean ones because they don't have clothes dryers in Korea. And so they're, so you get those and then you bring them back to the U S and then you throw them in the dryer and they you got shrink. booty shorts. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Little tricks. All right. So you were a Mormon. I grew up Mormon. Yeah. Not anymore though. Okay. So you figured out you're gay when? That is a complicated question. Uh, let's see if we can cover this. I, looking back, I think there were uh, signs that I was attracted to members of the same sex. Um, but growing up in Texas, that just wasn't an option, especially I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. So that was in the height of the AIDS epidemic. epidemic. So for me, being gay equaled getting HIV and dying. In fact, I knew I, I heard, had friends of friends because I was involved in theater who went to the high school for the performing arts and people who were in high school who died. They uh, died in high school? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. High school aged kids. Wow. I remember one of them, he tried the new, there were some new medications they were trying out and they destroyed his liver and he actually died from liver failure before Whoa. HIV got him. He was what, 17, 18? Yeah. Something yeah. Like Teenager. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't even thing that was, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't even something that uh, I don't think I would even allow myself to even go there. And, and plus I was Mormon and I was like, I don't, I, I would actually, I would sometimes kind of mourn the life that I wanted to have, which wasn't just being gay or being, um, it was just having the freedom to do things like to take drugs, to drink alcohol, to try coffee, for God's sake, just very simple things that I was like, oh, I'll never be able to do this. And I used to kind of think, I kind of wish we didn't find the truth until I was 40 or 50 years old so that I could have lived. Like, <laughs> have some fun before. Exactly. Yeah. And then because Mormons believe like once you find the gospel and you get baptized, all of your sins are forgiven. And so I was like, well, oh, so you'd be covered. Yeah, Bam. exactly. And so it's not fair that my parents both got to <laughs> live their lives. So like, you got forgiven before you sinned. That's yeah. Not fair. So like, yeah, if you join them, hey, for all of those out there who want to join the Mormon church, do it like in your deathbed and you, you'll have all your, uh, your bases covered. <laughs> join like all the churches and get baptized. You'll go and you'll be like a baby. Right. Pure and innocent. And you'll go straight to heaven. The plot thickens a bit. So you're oh, yes. Mormon. You're yeah. thinking maybe you're gay, but you're... I Did had, you know you were gay or are you gay? I don't know. Well, I consider myself, um, if someone says I'm gay, I'm like, sure, because I do plenty of gay things. Um, but I, I just kind of think of myself as queer, but sexually fluid. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just attracted to beautiful people, beautiful on the inside, on the outside. And sometimes that can have a sexual component and sometimes not. Um, mm. just open. I'm really just like being open to possibilities. And that's something after having lived a life of rules, because I feel like the Mormon religion is really one of the most strict religions, unless you're getting into like Orthodox Jews or something. There's so many rules. There's so much church. There's so many hours you spend doing things that are required of you to be a, a good, good Mormon and feel like a good Mormon. I think uh, what happened. So my story is I eventually I was involved in theater and I eventually moved to New York uh, this was when I was 30 years old and I had a roommate for a while and I was going to church in New York City. And I finally, about 35 years old, I was able to get my own apartment just by myself. And I think this gave me 
some opportunities to say, hey, I, I don't have to be putting on a show for anyone. And around the same time, Prop 8 in California was was going on, the the, the proposition that would, I think, would, would make it add to the state constitution that marriage was only between a man and a woman. I may be getting that wrong, but it was something in that that kind of idea. And people in the church, like bishops and people, higher up people in the church were speaking out about supporting Prop 8. And in my entire life of being in the church, it was understood that you did not talk about political things at church. If you gave a talk, a speech at church, or you bore your testimony, which is something you do once, you know, once a month, uh, they allow members to stand up and just kind of talk and talk about their beliefs. It was always said, don't, don't talk about political things. Don't talk about secular things. Keep it all about the gospel. And so when the church was actively supporting this legislation that would deny LGBT people the opportunity to, to have the same blessings that Mormons have of having a family and being married, it really, it made me really angry and it was kind of the deal breaker for me. And it was the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I said, I was like, you know what? I don't, I've been sitting on the fence for, for much too long because I was in my thirties. I wasn't married to a woman. Um, I didn't like dating Mormon women. I found them boring. I was actually dating mostly uh, non-Mormon women, but not having sex with them because I was like, no, no, I'm Mormon. And I just decided that I was gonna, I said, what I decided is that I was going to be a perfect Mormon for one month and see how that felt. And then I was going to be the worst Mormon for one month <laughs> and see how that felt. And then I was going to compare the two and decide if I wanted to stay in this church. So, um, so good boy, bad boy. I did. I was a good, I was, because let me, and let me tell you, I did a month of being a perfect Mormon and to be a perfect Mormon is exhausting. They were, <laughs> they require so much. I mean, we have three hours of church on Sunday and then we have meetings um, and activities on Wednesday. And, and on Monday, you go and you visit other members and you teach them a lesson. And then they then another different members come to your house and teach you a lesson. And it's just, it's hours and hours of work. And you volunteer to feed the missionaries and you volunteer to clean the church. And you go to the temple and you you do um, baptisms for the dead and all the different kinds of Mormony things that you do in the temple. And it... And I did it for a month and I was perfect. And and at the end of the month, I felt good because I felt like I'd accomplished something. But I also was very aware that it was not sustainable. I was I, I was like, there's no way I can. There's a part-time job. There's no way I can do this continuously. So then I went and talked to my bishop, which for those of you who are not Mormon, is basically your, the head of your congregation, uh, like a preacher, except they're, they're not paid. Um, they're chosen and they... they do the work for free. And I said to the bishop in New York, I said, Hey, this is, well, I told him at the beginning what I was doing. And I said, Hey, I've been perfect for a month. And I said, I'm, now I'm not going to be perfect. Just want to let you know. And so <laughs> How, what was the reaction to that? Well, he was a New York bishop. So they're very different from like a Utah bishop or right. uh, in the South. They, they deal with a lot of interesting people in New York. Right. So I he, imagine. He was kind of like, well, I don't, I don't think you need to do this, but he's like, if you, if this is what you really feel you need to do, then, you know, do it. And, uh, he said that at the beginning, not when I was, uh, that was before I was a super Mormon. He was like, be a super Mormon. And then, so then I did a month and, it, and you know, one of the top things on my list was to have sex. 
because I was 36, I think, by this time. And you never had sex. I'd never had anybody. sex with anybody. I'd had, had girlfriends who were like, oh, I want to have sex. And I was like, no, no, no. Because I'm, I'm the good boy. I, I'm always a pleaser. I want to be the good boy. And to my detriment, because in retrospect, I should have left the church when I was 16 and had a full life. I mean, I still have a full life, thank God. But uh, so what I did is first I set out to find someone to have sex with. So I started calling all my old girlfriends who I'd broken up with. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, you remember me? You remember how you wanted to have sex? I'm, I'm, I'm cool to do that now. Uh, I think the, how many phones got, I think I slammed in your ear three or four. No one slammed because I wasn't, I'm none of my, breakups. you're a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. None of my ex-girlfriends were angry at me. And was, one said, Oh, let me check with my husband. Yeah. No, no, none of them were married, <laughs> but, uh, but like the first one I remember, she said, you know what? I'm, I'm looking for a relationship right now. I'm not really in that stage of my life of hooking up right now. She's like, I appreciate, I'm honored that you asked me. Um, but she said, no. And I asked someone else, something else had gone and one was married, but I didn't ask, I didn't ask her. Um, and then I finally got to this one girlfriend and she said, let me think about it. And then she got back to me the next day and she said, she goes, you know what? I talked to my friends and they said, girl, you need to rock that Mormon boy's world. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, so that's what I'm going to do. So, um, but you did not tell her she was number four on your list. Right? Oh, of course not. No, no I didn't tell her that, <laughs> okay. but she's, right. but you know, she's number one now. She's, right. she'll always be number one. Right. So, and this was like maybe three weeks into my, my rumspringa, uh, my wow. Mormon rumspringa. Cause it took me a while to find somebody. And, uh, she was very sweet. We like, she invited me over. We had wine. I'd, I'd had wine before. <laughs> like a week earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you had wine for the first time one week earlier. Yeah, like, well, uh, maybe a week and a half earlier. Wow. I'd, I'd had coffee and I had wine <laughs> and I had tea and I really loved, uh, this is crazy. Like I had never had iced tea. Really? No. And I had iced tea at an Ar Arnold Palmer and I was like, this is the best. <laughs> I just thought it was so good. And I have them all the time now. Um, I had whiskey, which I thought was delicious. Beer I didn't like because I'd never grown a, a taste for it. Coffee was pretty strong for me too, but the sexy stuff. So she invited me down. We like had wine. It was all really romantic. And yeah, I had sex for the first time. I thought it was amazing. I just was like, this is great. You know, I almost screamed that while we were having sex. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm thinking a movie in my head here. This is just there's a great a movie. Scene. Yeah. There's yeah. A, I think a movie where a guy's like yelling that this is amazing. No, I was just like, this is so good. So yeah. And we like had sex and we slept together. And then the next morning we did it again and it was really nice. And then she basically became my girlfriend for, for like nine months. Like having sex regularly? Not super regularly, but like once a week. Okay. Thing. I mean, I guess that's regular for some people. Yeah. And then, but, but. So she was my girlfriend for nine months, but after a few months, you know, I was just, so I kind of, at the end of my month, first of all, I felt like it took me three weeks to even find someone to have sex with. I was like, I need another month. You need an extension. I need an extension <laughs> before I decide, before I make my decision. Okay. So after we'd been dating for a few months, I was honest with her and I said, I, you know, I've, you're the only person I've had sex with. I'm in my thirties. I don't. You know, and one of the things I remember the movie 40 year old virgin had just come out. Right. And I was like, I do not want to be the 40 year old virgin. I was like, I do not want to. I don't want that. I don't want that. for. I don't see that for me. I told her that I just felt like, you know, she had lots of experiences and I, she was great, but I felt I needed to have more experiences and she didn't want to break up. So we kind of did a don't ask, don't tell agreement where she's like, well, it was it, the thing was, she said, go ahead and do what you need to do, but just always be honest with me. 
Okay. And I was like, okay, but she didn't want to know. So she never asked. So it was basically a don't ask, don't tell because she, she would never ask me about, cause I don't think she wanted to know about it. Um, so yeah, so it got to the point where I was like really interested in having sex with a guy. And, uh, so I went on manhunt. Remember that? Yep. And, uh, there was a guy that I thought found very attractive. I, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So this blonde haired, tan, no hair image of like, was really popular in the eighties. For some reason that was really attractive to me. And so there was this guy visiting from LA who's staying in a hotel nearby Sounds like a surfer boy type. He was thing. a total surfer boy. Yeah. Okay. He was like involved in Hollywood and all that shit. But anyhow, I messaged him and he invited me over to his hotel. And I didn't tell him that I'd never done it before. I had sex with him, felt so amazing. And when I told him afterwards, I said, You're the first guy I've had sex with, he was like, No. And I was like, Yeah. He's like, I don't believe you. And I was like, Yeah. It's like, he just refused to believe me. And I was, I was like, so I took it as a compliment. Yeah. Did you study I, before you went though? Did I study? <laughs> I got the, the, what is it? The joy of gay sex, read every chapter. No, I just went with the flow. I mean, I have top energy and that was kind of, and I knew he was a bottom. So like, right. it just made sense. And, and it, honestly it was fish to water. It really was. Like there was no awkwardness at all to it. It just felt really natural. And actually, and sex with a woman was very natural as well. That wasn't awkward as either, but it just, this actually felt more intense, I think, than my other experience. Yeah. So you're weighing here. So ladies, guys, was guys were, I wasn't at weighing point. at this point. I was just like, I was one you're for one. the flow. Yeah. <laughs> but I was one for one. So I was just like, but you didn't say this is res resonates more with me being with a guy. Let's say this. The anatomy is different and the sensation is different. No, I can't say that one was better than the other. There are aspects of it. The, the thing that I really like about women is how soft they are. Their skin is just really nice to touch. What I like about men is I like that it, it's, you know, it's really a different approach. A woman is a delicate flower to be caressed. And a man, I felt like I could just throw him around and... <laughs> have a wrestling match, you know, I could be really right. rough. So I think it was just that different aspects of my personality were, were, uh, responding to the different energies of the people. So what was the next step then? The next step? Well, yes. Um, to what? <laughs> well, you, well, first of all, you left us hanging on the story. So uh, did you go back to the Bishop and say, uh, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So if we're going to go back to that. Yeah. So after I kind of, I did weigh both, I looked and I said, the being a perfect Mormon was, I felt good about myself, but more because I'd accomplished something and I just knew it was not sustainable. Right. And I was like, I don't want to sit on the fence any longer. Um, I just, I want to live. Once I'd opened the floodgates, I was like, I want to experience everything there is to experience. The freedom to me was better than anything, anything that I felt uh, religious. Just that f freedom was so enticing that I, I, to me, that was my religion. My religion is freedom. Don't hurt anyone, but live your life. You know, that's the, that's the church I want to belong to the church of living, having all the experiences because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Right. So I was angry at myself. So what I, uh, what I did is I wrote, it's actually very easy for any of the Mormons out there. It's very easy to leave the Mormon church. You just write a letter saying, I, I'm leaving the church. I'm that you can look at Google this. I Googled it. There's a form letter that basically you sign and you give it to your bishop and you walk away. And they'll say, they'll say, oh, do you want to come in to talk? And I for just, counseling or whatever. For, yeah. Or not even counseling or even like 
I heard people that have had like disciplinary councils and bullshit like this. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm done. No, I, I don't need to talk to anyone. Here's my letter. Take my records off of the church. I am not Mormon any longer. And I understand that there's scary ramifications in the afterlife for doing this. I was like, I don't care. I have to live. I have to live a full life. Yeah. So that was easy. I walked away. I never, uh, the great thing is I, I know a lot of people are like Catholic. They'll have sex with a woman or a man or, or someone and feel guilt. I never felt an ounce of guilt because I'd done the month of being perfect. And then I just said, no guilt. I'm just doing, and I, the freedom felt so wonderful. And, you know, even to this day, you know, my mom and my parents, you know, they were heartbroken when I told them I left the church and they want me to come back. And I just, when I think of going back to the church, it feels like I'm going to lock myself in a cage again. I have no desire. There's very little I miss of being Mormon. Very little. So, yeah. So then, Is there something good about it that you do miss? I know. I knew you were going to ask that because I was just <laughs> racking my brain trying to think of what what is good about being Mormon. The community, uh, the good thing about being Mormon, and I think, but this is true in the LGBT community to some degree. Right. Uh, the great thing about being Mormon is if you need anything, there will be someone there to help you. They're set up to serve. And the Mormon church is very much about serving other people, which is why it was so exhausting. Uh, but so if you don't, if you don't have a job and you need food, someone from the ward, which is like a congregation, will bring you food. They'll bring you three meals a day. They will, they'll find you a job. They'll set you up. They really, it's a great security blanket to, to be a member of the right. church. And I think people may sometimes not leave because you, you're giving up a really great well, community. Net. You're giving up a safety net. Basically. You're giving up your safety right. net because they right. really look after each other. But I think the LGBT community does that to some degree. Not to the, you know, uh, amount, but I mean, you cool thing about being queer is you meet other LGBT plus people and there's an instant acceptance and there's an instant understanding. And that I, I think is similar to being Mormon. When you meet other Mormons, you kind of go, okay, we, we speak the same language. We, we have a, right. a shared experience. And I think that's true with gay people and, and any L, people in the LGBT plus community. And it's great because you can travel the world and um, kind of just meet people and be on the same page. I mean, right. I've, I love what I love about meeting other gay men is just that very accepting and just kind of on the same page. Yeah, it's just it's great. I met people all over the world and you you can you can go on these apps that are meant for hookups, but you can meet someone and say, let's just go have a coffee. Let's just go walk around the park and you can meet people you've never met before and and uh, have new friends. Right. All right. So you're 36. You've had your your good month and your my extended your extended up. month. Yeah. <laughs> so so at what point from there did you say I am gay and did you share any of that with your family? What happened? Okay, so the the coming out was um, it wasn't like I threw a door open and came out. It was just gradual. It was kind of the people who knew me as being straight still considered me straight. And then the people who uh, knew me as gay knew me as gay. And then there was just the in-between people who just didn't really know and... Um, probably didn't care, half of them. <laughs> probably didn't care. <laughs> right. Or just assumed one way or the other. And I never, had a, I never had a problem with someone assuming I was gay or assuming I was straight or bi or anything. I identify as all the above. 
I mean, I, I feel funny saying bisexual because it feels so divided and like half of you has to be one thing, half the other. I just, I think of myself as queer, but, um, but some days I'm very gay, you know? <laughs> Some days I'm like, I'm the gayest gay there is. And and I'm fine with that. So coming out to family and friends was little by little. Uh, of course, people I met in the LGBT community just assumed I was gay and that was fine. I was working a lot in theater. People assumed I was gay. And well, then, they, they are all gay there, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of gays. <laughs> right. But, and then there was people I worked in theater when I was quote unquote straight. So they still knew, thought of me as being straight. And then I'd maybe... Uh, I remember going up to Fire Island and seeing someone I was on a tour with. And he's like, Matt, whoa, what are you doing what here? Are you doing here? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gay. <laughs> today, today I'm gay. Today I'm gay. Yeah. yeah today I'm gay. Yeah. This weekend I'm gay. Uh, so, and they were, of course, they're like, great. Uh, we always knew or something. <laughs> so I came out, actually I came out to my, my best friend was one of the earlier ones. Very smart guy. Very accepting. He actually baptized him. Uh, he I, he became Mormon because of me and I baptized him, but he also had left. He wasn't really involved in the church. So I, I was, was like, okay, good. I didn't destroy so his baptized life. baptized you into gay? No, he didn't. No, he's straight. <laughs> oh, he's straight? Yeah. He's, oh, wow. Yeah. He's my best friend growing up. Straight, straight okay. guy. Totally straight guy. Yeah. He's married now with a kid and, but still my best friend. He was just like, okay, great. He had no problem with it. Well, you, you were telling me earlier today, mm. a funny story with your mother about yeah, coming up. So, I'll get so to let's the hear that story. because that, that's a good one. Okay. So coming out to my family was a little more drawn out because my father, uh, was, he was in poor health and suffering from dementia. And I was just like, I don't want to put more. I, they were already crushed when I left the church and my dad, I didn't want to put something else on his plate to depress him. He was already on medications for that. And he had dementia. And I was like, if I come out to my dad, I'm going to have to come out to him again and again, because he's going to keep forgetting. So after my dad passed away, which was right at the start of the COVID pandemic, um, and he didn't pass away from COVID, it was from um, dementia and uh, Lewy bodies related issues, uh, which is a disease. Um, but anyhow, so then I was, I got stuck down in Houston for my dad's funeral and then COVID all so you were there loose. for the funeral and then COVID Yeah, we hit. actually ended up, we didn't do the funeral because COVID hit oh. and and it was, we had to decide about whether we were going to have a group of people in a closed and uh, my mom made the right decision, I think. And she said, let's, let's not, let's just do something online and let's not, um, let's not put people at risk. Which okay. I think it was the smart thing to do. Uh, so, but I got, my mom was like, are you going to go back to New York? And I was like, no, it's crazy there right now. I don't want to, I'll just be stuck in my apartment. So it's better to be here in Houston where I have a car and we live in the suburbs. I, we can go walk, fresh park, air, whatever. fresh yeah. air. We have a huge backyard. No elevators. <laughs> no elevators. Just yeah. great. And you can pick up your groceries. They'll put them in your trunk. You don't have to talk to anybody. So I was living with my mom for six months. We turned off the Fox News that had always been on uh, when my dad was alive. And my mom loves movies and television. So she always wants to watch things with me. So she was like, let's watch some TV. And I was like, great. What do you want to watch? And she said, I've heard great things about Schitt's Creek. And so I was like, oh, okay, great. I've heard good things about it. Let's watch it. And I didn't realize this. I don't know if my mom knew this, but Schitt's Creek is written by a gay man. And it has a very strong gay relationship throughout the seasons that ends in them getting married. So as we were watching this, I was like, wow, my mom really picked some gay television here. <laughs> um, and we were watching one episode where uh, the two men kiss each other. My mom turned to me and she goes, I still have trouble 
watching that, but I'm getting used to it. I'm getting used to seeing two men kiss. And I, and I was like, okay, is she trying to tell me something? I was like, great mom. Good for you. Uh, so we watched all the series. They got married and she would love the show. And she was, and I was, I was, and we finished it and I was, okay, okay, mom, what do you want to watch next? And she goes, you know what? I really want to watch the, uh, Freddie Mercury, uh, biopic. Is that what it's called? The Freddie Mercury movie right. uh, about his life that just came out. And I thought, okay, another <laughs> gay guy. All right, mom. So we watched that movie and, uh, she was again, just very like, uh, understanding and kind of talking to me about it and going, this is, this is really interesting. And I'm like, oh, okay. So by this point, I think, okay, my mom's telling me something, right? Right. That she's a lesbian. That she's a lesbian. <laughs> no, she's telling yeah. me that like, oh, she, um, she's okay with people being gay. And, right. and so she, oh, she must kind of know. And my mom's a psychologist, I should okay. say. All right. So she should know. Right. She should be able to read people. Right. Right. So then I said, we finished that movie and I go, okay, mom, what do you want to watch next? And she says, why don't we watch the Elton John movie, Rocket Man? And I'm just thinking, God, woman, you just, everything's so gay with you right now. So we're watching Rocket Man and there's a scene where Elton John comes out to his mother and the mother turns to Elton John and says, yes, I know. I know you're gay. And my mom turned to me and said, the mother always knows. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't have to come out. My mom just told me that she knows that I'm gay. Right. And I just, and I thought, and I was like, yeah, mom, the mother does always know. Great. She knows. And I didn't, and I thought, okay, great. That was easy. Um, <laughs> then like a few weeks later, my sister's husband was who, who's a friend on Facebook, saw a post where I posted like maybe a shirtless photo or something. And a, a guy who was clearly gay said something about how sexy I looked or how handsome I looked. And so my sister's husband said to my sister, see, see, your brother's gay. I knew it. And my sister's like, no, I don't. No, I don't think so. My sister's not a real deep thinker. So this isn't something that would really have come across her radar. So she said to my mom, my husband thinks that Matt's gay again. He's going on about Matt being gay again because of this post on Facebook. And so my mom looked at the Facebook and she's like, no, he's just a guy who, who thinks that Matt is good looking. And so my mom came to me and told me all this. And she's like, your sister's husband thinks that you're gay. And I was... And she's like, that's not true. <laughs> what? And I was, I was so confused. I, and so I said to my mom, I said, I am gayer than my sister's husband will ever dream of being. And my was mom, he dreaming of being gay? No, I don't think he was. But I just <laughs> want to make the point. That he would ever dream of thinking. Yeah. Even. Like yeah. he's super straight. Right. And that's why I was like, I am, I'm gayer than he, he will ever be. You know, because I did, I did, and that's just the way I phrased it. And she got it. And she was like, oh. And she's like, well, what about your girlfriends? And I was like, well, that was, of course, I was expected to date girls and, and I enjoyed that. And that was nice. And that was great and everything. And I didn't want to tell my mom I was bisexual because I, I wanted it to be like, I didn't want to give her wiggle room. Right. I wanted to be like, I'm, it. I'm gay, get used to it. You know, she kind of just went, okay. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a waspy family. Um, well, wait, did you say to her, what about the movies? Oh yeah. Yeah. I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. To tell my mom, I was like, I thought you were trying to send me a message. And she was like, no, I just enjoyed the movies. And I was like, I don't That's know. That's wild mom. that she picked all the gay ones, though. Jeez. And the funny thing about my mom being a psychologist, you think she'd pick up on this. Right. A lot of my friends were like, when I was in New York, you know, everyone goes to therapy. And so I was once, my friend was trying therapy and talking about how great it was. And so I was talking to my mom and I said, mom, have you ever had therapy? And she said, no, no, I've never done it. I've never felt a need. And I said, I go, I think... I think I'd like to go see a therapist. And my mom said, why? 
you have me. <laughs> and I said, well, what if I want to talk about you? <laughs> Anyhow, so that's my How'd mom. How'd she take that? She's chip. I mean, she's a happy Mid- Midwestern woman. So she, uh, but she's, you know, we're, we're very, our family isn't very, we don't talk about a lot of things. So when it comes to my sex life, straight or gay, even sex with women she doesn't want to talk about it and sounds like she she needs therapy yeah right (laughs) she doesn't want to talk about it and yet she'll give me way too much information about her and my dad that i do not need to know yikes like when my dad went on uh uh, antidepressants i don't remember how this came up but i i somehow we were talking about antidepressants and oh i asked my mom i said well how how has his behavior changed now that he has an antidepressant, she said, well, he's, he's, uh, he's not feeling suicidal anymore. He's much more positive. And she goes, and then she goes, but, and the face kind of falls. And I go, what? She's like, well, he's not as sexually active as he used to be. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay. Don't need to know. And she's like, and I go, but I go, but dad's like, but I mean, that's expected. You know, he's getting older and she's like, nope, didn't matter for your dad. And I was like, okay, I don't need to know anymore. But evidently, <laughs> but I'm glad to know that because as I get older, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll be like my dad. And as long as I don't take antidepressant, right. antidepressants, I will right. be fine. So, yeah. So that's, so by that point, basically now out to everyone, including my ex-girlfriend who we were on a date and Grinder popped up. So that took, a, took care of it. <laughs> that's the one that you had sex for the first time. Yeah. That one. I dated for nine so months. So you didn't tell her you were gay? When I, you said you wanted to experiment, you didn't say I didn't with whom? specify. Okay. She just said be careful. Okay. I didn't specify and um I I guess I, I don't know. I was afraid of like hurting her. I I don't know. I so I didn't really say anything, but I think she's figured it out. And I also I when when I did my when I was having sex with other people, I had sex with other women as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, not a lot, but just a few. You're just like a little ping pong going back and forth. <laughs> Well, Bing bong bong. 36, 37 years Some of pent up. Uh... Yeah, I had, <laughs> I had a lot of living to do. Wow. I had, to, I had lost time to make up for. Well, that's a cool story. So let's switch channels. All so right. what about your work? What have you been doing? So you're in I, New York. Yeah. So in I, the came, arts. I came to New York to be the next greatest, to be the next Broadway star. As an actor. As an actor. I was going to be How's huge. That going? Well, you know, it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. Actually, the one of the first jobs, I think the first job I I booked was I did closer than ever at like a it's a, a musical review at a like off like a, a small regional theater like in Long Island or something. But the but two so months it's off off Broadway. Yeah, it's not even it's not even. Not even close. I don't think any Broadway's in there. It's like on Long Island. That was my first job, which I booked right away. And in retrospect, after that job, I think I went two weeks without a job and I was like, I'll never work again, which is ridiculous now to think back back on. But about two months into my stay, this was 2002, uh, February is when I moved. And I think it was uh, March, March or April, um, I booked the national tour of Fosse which was a Broadway show that they were, that had closed on Broadway and then they were taking it out on tour. And the crazy thing is that's kind of my best performing credit to date. And it oh, was it in is? my, fr- I know. And I thought at the time I thought, wow, I'm amazing. I have booked this Broadway tour. I am going straight to Broadway after this. And that just didn't happen. Uh, How you know, long I- were you doing that? I did that tour. Just, I did the tour for six months. Okay. Uh, uh, I left because I just, 
it felt like a dead end to me. I just was, I don't know, I was just tired. It was a lot of work because it was, it's an all dancing show. And also I wanted, I didn't want to, even though that is a show where the dancers are the principals, I just, I wanted to act. I wanted to sing. I wanted, I mean, I was singing in the show as well, but I, I wanted to do like more. So it wasn't more acting and like drama type acting. No, it's, it's like a review of all of Bob Fosse's greatest numbers. Okay. So yeah, like my feature was uh razzle dazzle from Chicago and like, um, uh, steam heat and things like that. So then what? So then it's just, you know, my years I, so I've been in New York now since 2002. So Wow. 20 years, just over 20 years. And, uh, you know, I was working as an actor. I'd book a lot of regional gigs, just couldn't get that Broadway show. I did a lot of readings of new musicals and I just was always just thought I'd be do these readings and I go, this writing is terrible. Um, I could write a better show. So I decided like write a one man show and I was basically writing parody lyrics for songs. And I worked with this, or, or this, uh, this music director who was also a composer. And he just, he said to me, he's like, you're really good at writing lyrics. He's, he was like, you should stop. Don't write parody lyrics because you're never going to own these songs. He's like, you should write your own stuff. Your own stuff. Right. And so then he's, he steered me towards the BMI musical theater workshop, which is the training program in New York for, for musical theater writers, that, and like the NYU Tisch program, uh, many people who do both. So I applied for that. I got in and I started writing and slowly over time, my, my artistic uh, inclinations have moved from acting more to writing. And, uh, my, f- so that first show I was writing was loosely based about myself, but it was flipped on its head. So instead of about a, a young man from uh, uh, Houston, from the South, coming to New York to become a great actor. It was about a young man from Preston, Idaho, coming to New York who wanted to be a great maitre d'. Because I thought the opposite of being a actor was to be a waiter. So I was well, like, aren't most actors waiters? Yeah, exactly. So it's the opposite. So I was <laughs> right. like, well, let me think, what would it mean to be a great waiter? And I was like, oh, let's have him be a maitre d'. So it was, it was a way of like telling my story of wanting to be an actor and a star on Broadway without it being that, because everyone writes about I want to be a great actor, you know, Uh, so I wanted to make it different. And that show uh, is called Flambe Dreams. And we presented it. It took forever to write because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) And we finally premiered it at the New York Musical Theater Festival in 2012. And it won a bunch of awards and got us some attention. And it led to us, me writing, uh, a woman hired me to write a musical with, with uh, the music director I had for my cabaret show was the composer I began working with. And we wrote a children's show called Ever Happily After that was for kids to perform. And then a children's theater in New York saw that production because we did that the following year at the New York, I, Nymph. Nymph is the New York Musical Theater Festival. I don't think I said that. That's what that is. <laughs> okay. Rest in peace. It's not around anymore. But uh, so we presented this kids show the following year. Uh, this guy who owns Vital Theater Company in New York saw the piece and commissioned me to write a Christmas show based on the Fancy Nancy books. And that's been a nice little moneymaker. It's uh, currently playing this December, this this Christmas season. It's playing at four different theaters. One very near here in Anaheim at the Chance Theater is oh, playing. Cool. It's also playing in New York right now. So that's a nice... Have you gone to see any of those? I saw them when they initially went up, you know, because okay. I had to be there for, for the production. Uh, yeah, I wrote the book and the lyrics for that. And then that led to another 
show called Twinkle's Fairy Pet Day, which is also a, a kid's book that we adapted. I did the book and the lyrics for that as well. That will be licensed to theaters as well. And and then I've just been writing a lot. I wrote, uh, I did interviews with women who were at different stages of breast cancer and wrote a song cycle based on the interviews we did with them. Sounds sad, but it's actually very funny and, and uh, very uplifting. Um, uplifting. Mm-hmm. It is. It's for anyone anyone yeah. who's struggled to go through a hard right. time in their life. It's it's just that's the, it's a show for them. Uh, of course, it really resonates. Of course, with the, with women who have really who've gone through the exact experience. But I think it really speaks to anyone. Um, I wrote a show based on a be- bunch of O. Henry stories that was done at a university called Bonnets and Bling, and I probably the best paying show I've written to date. Uh, I entered a competition that was being run by the Adam Miskiewicz Institute of Poland. It's the like cultural institute. They, after the success of Hamilton in the United States, they looked at that and they thought, hey, we want that. We want one of those. And this will be a great way to teach people about Poland. So it was this Ministry of Culture funded this competition to write a musical based about, based on a man named Jan uh, Ignacy Jan Paderewski, who is a famous composer, pianist, and was the first prime minister of the reunified Poland after World War One. And so I entered this competition and uh, there was a bunch of different stages. I went through all of them and I ended up winning the competition. This was the first time that I wrote book music and lyrics, stole heavily from Paderewski as well as Chopin. And uh, the musical, uh, I got, I was commissioned to write it. So got got paid well because in Europe they actually pay writers <laughs> and uh the show was had its premiere right at the beginning of covid oh good timing <laughs> yeah so it premiered in september of 2020 right that was that was in the middle of covid it was the middle of covid here but in europe it was uh, it was a little slower taking, oh, was it? in okay. poland it was slower so the show ran for i think two weeks and then they had to close because of because of covid but in order to keep the actors funded, to keep the actors working and, and paid, they uh, got funding from the government to record it for Polish television. So I cool. got paid again and they um, recorded this. Uh, it's a three hour show, basically. So they did it in three parts, like 50, 55 minutes each. And they ran it over the the Christmas holiday in 2020. And then they re-aired it in 2021. And they'll re Probably re-airing it right now. And you paid each year they re-air it or no? No, I did a one-time fee. Did you? Yeah, and I, but I think it was for. I have to check the contract, but I think it was for three years that they could that they, they could, could do it. Yeah, they could uh, run it for you know over the holidays. So if they do it next year, you get another bonus or something. I think we'll have to look into that. I have to Yay. talk to, talk to Lori about out. it. But the show is also being done now that they've reopened to the theaters in Poland. It is playing as part of uh, a repertory company in a theater called Musical Theater of Poznan. And it's a really beautiful production. And I want, I really want to bring it to the U.S. Uh, This show was written, you know, the intention when I wrote the show was actually to share Polish culture with the U.S. Because the the character, uh, Ignacy Jan Paderewski, he he became an American. He was a huge success in the United States. And he actually um, settled in, in California 
is where he died. I think it was uh, Los Robles, and not exactly sure. That's like wine country. Okay, might be a little more northern California, but that's where he. he that's and he was buried in Arlington Cemetery. So he was like a he's a he's an American. You know, he became an American citizen. Uh, but then they eventually moved his they moved his body back to Poland, but his heart is still in is in Pennsylvania of all places. That is actual heart. His actual heart is encased. They removed it? Yeah. His heart was removed and encased in metal. They were crazy back then. This is turn of the century we're talking. There's like 19, well, by that time it would have been like 1940. But um, yeah, so his heart is uh, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. That's a little morbid. <laughs> it is a little morbid. But, and a little romantic at the same time. Yes. But. My hope, and I need to do this, my hope is I actually want to approach the theaters in that area and say, Hey, do you want to do this show? His heart is literally, literally in your city. Do you want to, you know, are you interested in producing a musical about this man? Oh, that'd be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. So hopefully, you know, or maybe here in California, you know, because that's, he lived out here in California. I would, I, it's a beautiful musical and I, I, very proud of it and, and constantly rewriting it, of course, because nothing's the, the great thing about theater is every time there's a new production, you're like, I can change things. Unlike a movie. Oh, you can? You update it? I do, yeah. So what's on the drawing board now? Uh, The drawing board now is, so I just turned 50 last year and it's kind of freed me up from the hustle. I, I just, I got to the point where a lot of all these projects I'm telling you about, almost all of them have had some kind of legal issue, something that I had to like pay a lawyer to sort out, which was really for art, for an artist, it's just soul crushing. To, to work so hard on something and then you have to get it into the muck and about, you know, the money and the business and, and who owns this and who owns that and do you have the rights for this and do you have the rights for that? So it kind of, during the pandemic, I didn't, I, I didn't write much. I, I learned, I taught myself to play the guitar. That was my artistic endeavor that I did. And so I was kind of depressed about the business, but uh, Stella got her groove back a couple months ago. I just, I just, I don't know, a part of it uh, turning 50 and I, I was like, you know what? I, I, I just need to do what I like to do. You know, I'd roll up my sleeves and and dive into the muck and, you know, I had kind of a sense of righteous indignation of like, you know, this is, this work deserves to be seen. I am in the right. So, you know, the fancy Nancy show I was telling about you, it had a five-year hiatus because Disney bought underlying rights to the character and then wouldn't let us produce the show. And now they're allowing us to do it again, which is, which makes me happy and gives me energy. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on TikTok now. You are. I did. I posted one TikTok the other day and, uh, I just started at the beginning of November. So it's been almost two months now. And, but one of my fifth or sixth TikToks got something like 23,000 views. And I don't know if they do that in the algorithm, but it made me feel, it made me feel special. So (laughs) you are special. Thank you. So I'm like, maybe TikTok's my thing. So I wondered about that. Yeah. Because it seems, that seems to be one of the latest things. I know. It's like, it's, yeah, it was Twitter and there was Instagram and now I, and I think TikTok and, and who knows what the next thing is. Uh, you know, I have my YouTube channel. I bought a, I bought a camera so I could create more content of just like sketch comedy or just me being silly playing. I did a thing where I, uh, every day I would just write a song, a 60 second song and just post it on TikTok. Just whatever came to my little heart sing about it, post it. Didn't matter. I sometimes do it right after I woke up. It sounded like a frog. I didn't care. (laughs) And that's, that's what I'm doing now. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I think is right. And what I think is fun and what makes me happy. 
Yeah, so I'm excited to see. I have a bunch of different ideas for shows I'd like to work on. And also, it's just a lot of work licensing the existing shows, uh, really getting out there. I want right. to get my, the show about cancer to uh, women's groups all over the nation who would benefit from uh, seeing the show. And even if I produce it like and don't get a royalty, I just want to get the work out there. Right. Because it's it's not helping anybody being in a, in a shelf. Uh, the CD is actually on Spotify. Oh, it's it? called The C Word. Fancy Nancy, Twinkle's Fairy Pet Day, and The C Word are all on Spotify. And Virtuoso, which is the show in Poland, is also supposed to be on Spotify because they recorded it. But we're dealing with some international things to figure out. So yeah, gotcha. hopefully it'll be on there soon. All right. I usually end these by asking any advice or that you would give my listeners. What have you learned? What What's a couple of things you've learned or a main thing? In my, in half of my life? Half a century. That's not pushing. <laughs> yeah, my half. I, I'm going to live to a hundred. So I'm halfway there. My biggest advice is, I think, goes back to both of the things we've been talking about, leaving the Mormon church and also my new renewed desire to be artistic, my, my artistic creation, is don't take anything for granted and don't put yourself in a box. Live your life, follow your bliss, do, you know, do the, don't put off those things. You, you may, tomorrow's not guaranteed. So if you want to learn to play the guitar, teach yourself to play the guitar. If you want to write a musical, you know, when I wrote, when I wrote the book music and lyrics for the virtuoso, I'd never been a composer before. And I just, I couldn't find someone who wanted to work on the project. And I said, I'll just do it myself. And lo and behold, I was like, Oh, I, I can do this. And I think people just, you can do something. If you want to do it, you can do it. You can figure out a way. If you really want to do it, just go do it. That's me doing the podcast. Exactly. See, you're a perfect example yeah. of this. I thought I was too old. I thought I couldn't learn it. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Here you but, are editing audio. There you go. And with your photography, you're yep. also, you know, you've grown so much right. in that. Well, thank you for coming in, Matthew. My pleasure. And you'll be here with me, what, two weeks you're staying? I will. We're going to be, cool. we're going to have, we'll have some fun. Christmas and New Year's together. It'll be so much yes. fun. All right. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you.